And now we'll come to our last uh, rapid-fire speaker, Jim Rumaset. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, and he's going to talk about food policy and principled populism. And there's a little, yeah, a little uh, PowerPoint that Katarla is going to start for us. Thank you, Jim. Please come. Let's give you my hand. Thank you. It's great to be here and to help celebrate uh, Mark's important body of work. So in the lead up to this event, there was some discussion of what should donors do? And uh, from a US perspective, we naturally think in a populist world, not only US, but some, some parts of Europe. And so I thought of more of a US-centric approach. What should USAID do? And what should, uh, uh, hi, Carl. What should uh, other donors that are influenced by the US? And I was inspired by Andrew Nachos. Uh, some of you may remember that name from USAID. Um, he was also an administration that had a slogan, compassionate conservatism. Uh, the president at the time didn't make too much sense out of it, but not just did. It was simply uh, promoting Jeffersonian democracy through rural development. So if you say, well, the Trump talks about principled realism, but the real policy should be principled populism, which starts with principled realism. If you think of, uh, former Ambassador Bolton, uh, economic and military might. But what are those, what are those really for? Uh, this, if you've heard of BATNA from the Harvard Negotiation Project, best alternative to a negotiated out, uh, agreement. It's a way to economic cooperation, best alternative. So you have to have that strength for the backup. And what are we trying to promote in the US Constitution? It's promote the general welfare. So how do we do that? As you've heard from Prabhu and others, uh, build the infrastructure, the legal, as well as the physical infrastructure for economic cooperation, and drain the swamp. That means get rid of rent seeking. Sorry. Um, so, what instruments do we use? We've already heard uh, we need productivity enhancing R&D and infrastructure that shifts out the supply of agriculture and other rural enterprises. Now that induces structural transformation through the well-known IFPRI linkages that Mark has pioneered the modeling of through general equilibrium. It's not magical input-output models, but the general equilibrium that really shows you how all the changes take place. Since there's one objective, we should be aware of multiple objectives, such as sustainability, which is simply a recognition that the economy is inextricably connected with nature and that we care about the future as well as the present. It's not a new objective, and once you get a new objective, uh, you tend to 
Think of targets like self-sufficiency, which are an anathema to economists. Same thing with food security. It's really just a way to increase welfare by getting wages up and food prices down. Again, don't think of extraneous targets. Um, now, the other thing we need to do is get rid of swamp creatures, such as grain parastatals. Uh, that's part of grain fundamentalism, as Prabhu was talking about. But they're still pervasive, uh, for example, in the Philippines, where Mark and I have worked many years. Uh, another fallacy is the quest for homogeneity. There's a big debate between promoting small farms or promoting big farms. When you have heterogeneous resources, heterogeneous agents and transaction costs, there's no reason why one is right. You can promote both. And this, uh, while grain fundamentalism is a characteristic of ag policy, the donors are already focusing on nutrition. Neither one should be taken as it has to be one or the other. Rather, if we're promoting welfare, it's a question of finding something that increases benefits relative to costs. Three seconds left, so I'll stop right there. <laughs> Thanks so much uh, for those very wise words that I didn't all grasp, but uh, very wise for sure.